welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is September 22nd, which actually is the second anniversary of Tesla's battery day. It's also the end of the summer, but this is not only a Rockstock Channel video, this is a global lithium podcast and a lithium ion rocks podcast uh, distributed simultaneously. So global lithium ion rocks is the name of this podcast. Um, a merger of uh, global lithium and lithium ion rocks. Very privileged to have for the first time, Joe Lowry, Mr. Lithium. I'm going to assume the audience knows a fair bit about Joe. Uh, so I'm not going to go much into his background. But uh, if you don't know Joe, go to his website, globallithium.net or on Twitter at Global Lithium, and you'll find a ton about him. For Joe's Global Lithium podcast listeners, to the extent that you don't know who Rodney and I are or Rockstock Channel or RK Equity, I would encourage all of your listeners, Joe, to uh, visit us at rkequity.com. You can register your email there. Uh, visit us on Rockstock Channel. Uh, on YouTube, we're at Lithium Ion Rocks on Twitter and Lithium Ion Bull, and Rodney's at Rodney Hooper 13. And lastly, uh, one final plug Zalandez, uh, Brinefield Services Company, is not uh, a sponsor of uh, <laughs> Rockstock Channel, but it is of the Global Lithium Podcast. So to all of Rockstock Channel uh, viewers and listeners, check out Zalandez.com to learn more about them. So with that, Joe, we met the first time, I think, or we spoke the first time sometime in like 2015 or 2016. I was representing Lithium Americas at the time. I was doing a lot of research on lithium, listening to people like John Hikeway, Chris Berry. You were uh, writing extensively on LinkedIn. I learned a ton about lithium from you as so many you know did you've taught us a lot about social media uh as well as lithium with that we're we're a bit of competitors you know from time to time you know little lithium i say often uh is uh is a world with uh, big voices <laughs> and uh you are one of those big voices and this conversation is going to be far less me talking than it is moderating between two very smart analysts. And I want to make this much less lithium industry focused. You comment frequently on financial markets and capital markets and stocks and the like. Rockstock Channel is very much stock focused and financial markets focused. So I want to keep the dialogue, you know, less industry inside baseball and more what's happening and how that might impact you know companies because a lot of our viewers we're not financial advisors none of us are here financial advisors none of what what we say is financial advice but we do talk about stocks and companies and and we know people are interested in what we have to say on that topic can we say a few words about rodney and how you came to work with rodney and rodney's background going back a little way my background was um mostly in mining as being a South African and I ran a mining book, but uh, covered more base and bulk metals in the sort of China super cycle play. And after that, uh, ran the equity derivatives desk for Macquarie, did a lot of mining finance. And then in 2015, started to get a sense of what was happening on the renewable side and, and on the electric vehicle side and actually came across your stuff, Joe. And, uh, 
looking at what was happening with um, the cost of solar and wind and uh, the potential for renewable energy. And I guess the key thing I was thinking about it today is we all have our views on what Elon Musk says about lithium. And uh, I love your saying about P.T. Barnum because it's true. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he made the potential of the lithium ion battery getting the job done possible. I think ultimately they did that. And when I looked at it, then I thought, hang on, these metrics are good enough that the lithium ion battery can make this happen along with the renewable energy. And um, as I say, read quite a bit of your stuff and the others and decided, you know, this was this was a play to get into. So I just spent two to three years studying it whilst doing other things, but literally dedicating my time to understanding the industry. And of course, we went up, down, sideways, backwards in that period. And then um, I put together a piece on, a, on portfolio relative weightings and how it reached out. And, um, and that was it. I guess uh, we took the plunge. We took a lot of risk, all of us. I guess that's why it's disappointing when we read all of these oversupply thesis and stuff when we've been through so much and thought we'd come out the other side and here we are facing more you know um you know what i think to be incorrect views but uh, yeah so we we partnered up and um i had a, a very good marriage as it were we met it online like any good couple. <laughs> we, Did we... you swipe left? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and you know how it's you know how it's very strong on sales and 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 deal flow and also the the politics and uh, the high level with my analytical sort of side and love of numbers and it it sort of uh, it it was a perfect fit. Um, I'm sure at times. I frustrate him like he does me, but uh, we, we definitely have complementary skills. And um, also, you know, with, with you, Joe, I guess, uh, you know, being in the same space and stuff, you've driven us to be more rigorous and better at what we do. So thank you for that. I'd like to think there's quite a collection of people in the industry that, yes, we may represent or do things, but in the end, we seek the truth. We're not trying to just you know, sort of pedal and, and, you know, push something. We, we believe in, you know, in, in what we see. And, and, and that's, I guess, what has kept us interested in this. And, um, and, uh, and I guess, you know, if you look at what's out there and you've called it, <laughs> you've been braver to call it more aggressively is, is, you know, there's still a lot of misinformation out there. So I guess there's a place for guys like us still, you know, in the industry. I think there's a growing place for guys like you in the industry. And the one thing I'd like to say about Howard is what's always impressed me about Howard is, is his work ethic. Cause you know, how, how Howard's out there <laughs> doing his thing, come rain or come shine. And I guess it was raining in New York this morning, but uh, yeah, I think, I think your the combination of you two guys was, a, was a good move for each of you. And, you know, I met you at the bagel boat, was that 16 or 17, somewhere in there? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. So Howard, yeah. lead us, right. that, 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 that's lead great. us I, through the ropes. So anyhow, here we are. Um, broadly, there are three categories I want to cover. 
One is supply, demand, and price uh, for spodumene, carbon, and hydroxide. Two, geopolitics, industrial policy, supply security, ESG considerations. And then thirdly, you know, corporate activity. What are incumbents doing? What are developers doing? What are new entrants doing? So let's start with supply, demand, and price. So Joe, you put out a forecast, which uh, you basically said, if, if Goldman is industry outlier low, your industry outlier high. And Rodney put out on LinkedIn his thoughts as well, which I guess were a bit more conservative. So why don't we just start with what you said in that? What's the difference between your, your forecasting? Well, I have a graph in my latest presentation deck that hasn't been published yet that shows the supply gaps of different banks, my supply gap, benchmark supply gap. And the question I have is, take Goldman out of the discussion for the moment. If people are projecting an extended supply gap, no matter how large it is, I don't see how they have the price. I mean, that that's my issue. And granted, my my price could be too high, but I have to think that if the EV traction is as everybody presents it, and certainly my supply numbers may be lower than some, but my demand numbers are lower than a lot of people too. But I don't really think that matters much because I think in the next five years, supply limits demand. You, you can argue with the statement that I made that supply defines demand because I think there's yeah, there's latent demand there that's not going to be supplied. But yeah, my price thesis is higher prices. I didn't have enough courage to put it over 100 on the high end, but uh, I, I would just ask the question, what stops it? Rodney? So, uh, I mean, the nice thing, I guess, about this is... Um, is that Joe and I can differ, but we'll know exactly why each other differs from it because we understand it. It's not like a a sort of a, you know a guesswork. We understand exactly where the levers are and, and what could or couldn't make the difference. I guess Joe's right because I have the undersupply, and I guess again I've, I've said this for a few years. People don't pass between aggregate supply and battery grade supply, which are two very different things. I keep just seeing analysts forecast about aggregated supply, and that doesn't count. That doesn't matter. Um, it you know if stuff has to be reprocessed or whatever, there's double counting that happens in the numbers, and there's a lot of things that you've got to nuance. But I guess. The, the reason why I was probably lower than Joe, and in the end, I would definitely, you know, lean Joe's side. The reason why I just published it is if I hear any talk of anything about below 20,000 again in the future, I just, I can't believe that's possible. It's not possible. I don't think that, Joe, would you agree on that? It can't go below 20. I think in my working lifetime, which admittedly is shorter than yours. <laughs> You're not going to see it go below 20,000 for a number of reasons. And one would be the increase of the cost curve for some of the marginal projects, Lapidolite in particular, which, you know, Goldman, you know, Goldman has their price going below the cash cost of Lapidolite, but Lapidolite being the tipping point, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, and, and also Morgan Stanley and so on. So I guess, what I wanted to dispel, how it was 
you know, below 20 is just an absolute no. That was really the message is to say, I, I, I can't see it. From there, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things, Joe, I'm a little concerned about is that Europe has no carbon emission penalty change until 2025. So you're seeing a slowdown in numbers there. OEMs won't sell in Europe if they don't have to. They can flatline now for the next few years and then up. So that's a question. I guess the question as well is China posts EV subsidies at the end of 23. Does it matter? Doesn't it? I'm not sure. And then ultimately, you know, with Spodgeman where it's at now and anything, you know, on a decent number, everything makes sense to put into production. The question is, what is the jurisdiction? Are there logistical challenges? Are there permitting challenges? But if you can overcome those, the likely, the likely places that Spodgeman is likely to come online are probably going to be, other than Western Australia, which I think we'll see lots of deposits come on, is um, they are unlikely to have downstream ambitions, so in which case then that material is free to, to flow back to China. Um, what that means on an ESG basis, geopolitics, that's another question. So it's really about the timing of will the model of tolling and JVs continue? So will China be starved of material? Or if it isn't, how quickly can that material come online? And there's every incentive to bring it online. So we know that there are challenges, but can that happen? And that's really where we get down to the nitty gritty, I guess, chatting between us is, what will come online, what will ramp on time, and, and what will that mean if it can get back to, it can be shipped to China? I think you summarized that very well. I had a call with an Asian bank this week, and the reason they wanted to talk to me, because they looked at my price deck, and then they looked at some <laughs> other things, and they had all these reports laid out as we talked, and it wasn't a video call, and they said, well, can we just go through these, because... Um, it seems like your numbers aren't that much higher or lower, you know, depending on who we're talking about. He says, but when you take the delta in aggregate, it's it's the tipping point. It's why they have price going down and, and you don't. And, we, and we actually did that. I, I just started off the top of my head. And I said, yeah, SQM's done a great job in the past couple of years with their expansions, but they have a limit. You can't keep doubling SQM's demand because they're, you know, I, I see the Atacama tops out at 400,000 if they get that high. And the question is, when does that happen? But look at Argentina, so many resources and so little improvement over Live events at the same capacity they were when I left 10 years ago from a resource perspective. Obviously, they have a lot more hydroxide conversion capacity. But when you start counting up the numbers, and then I ask them, what's your, what's your thesis? How many terawatt hours in 2030? Because if it's four, which is pretty common now, so you're talking about almost 4 million tons. So if you believe Chris Reed's peak Australia spodgeby number of 1.5. And, you know, that's probably got some flex in it. Africa's critical. Yeah. And then what's the, what's the model for Africa and how fast does it happen? And as we went through the numbers, I mean, they saw my maybe 
maybe it was late for them, or actually it was very early for them because it was late for me, but um, it seemed when they thought through it, <laughs> what I was saying about price made sense. And I know reasonable people differ, but I think the big difference, and maybe that's a difference you and I would have if we went through the numbers, is I think Africa is going to be a tougher slog than people people believe. And yes, Africa has great resources and Africa has been a great mining contributor over the years. And, you know, 60 years ago-ish, Bakita was producing lithium. So it's not a first time thing. But China's got a real problem is WA keeps more of the spodumene home for conversion. And I only went out to 2027 on the supply demand numbers I did just because I I do I agree that there's uncertainty after five years, maybe, because things can happen happen with the Chinese and in Africa. But just on basics, I think the next five years, your oversupply is if EV demand holds up, oversupplies virtually impossible. One thing that um that threw me out a little bit that I didn't see coming with the whole reshift and the shuffling of the marble JV and Chris Whackamole Ellison saying he wants to, you know, he can do three to four more trains at Wajina. I mean, is that an outlier risk? I mean, he's he's definitely making moves and he's a man who's used to selling the physical. So I don't know where you stand. I, I'm a little skeptical about building a conversion plant in, in Wajina. It never, it doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense if you have ambitions to put a, an EV, a battery supply chain in Australia, but I cannot believe it's cost competitive. But the point being, it will take time to ramp, which means he will have a lot of spodium. Here's the thing. I have a lot of respect for Chris Ellison. I've been very public about that. I think he's been great for the industry. I think he's been, I think he's been great for Abelmoral. Because I think he's he's pushed them, and I, I think that's a good thing. But let's look at Mount Marion. Mount Marion hasn't performed very well. <laughs> strip it all, strip it all away. That's been a troubled asset. And and to announce, oh, we're going to double by December. Good luck with that. And when they say mixed, I think the mixed is going to be much more mixed towards four percent than six percent when they go at this expansion yeah i could be wrong on that but the record chris ellison has a great strategic record in lithium operationally and and i said this to howard yesterday in a conversation we had that i still think i think wojin is a reasonable asset but it sure as hell is not green bushes and there is no history to go on with wojin other than dso they don't have an operating track record. You can look at it as he's a wild card in that he has great ambition. And if he was successful, even if he was successful, I don't think it tips supply in the next five years. And yes, there's going to be a lot of spodumene. And you know whether he's a statesman <laughs> or not, because he's also made the comment that every bit of spodumene I have is going to become a lithium chemical going forward. So there's kind of a, you know, which one is it? And I, I don't I don't know that, but I don't think if you've got 200,000 and more growth each year going forward, which you have to have to get to the kind of numbers Abelmarl projects for demand in 2025 and beyond, that I just don't see WA 
as swapping the market, but you're right, Chris Ellison is a wild card. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a man, but you're right. I mean, I remember the 6% upgrade program at Mount Marion that's been going and, and now that's kind of given up. So to my mind, Joe, would you say it's fair to say it's testament to Ganfin's processing skills that they take all that material and produce battery quality, which Minres is getting at $77,000 a ton for. That's the interesting thing, because in, in my mind, uh, Chris Ellison also played Gangman like a fiddle. Because <laughs> when he when he couldn't produce good product, Gangman was obligated to take all of it. And they had a mountain of four percent for a while. And they had the balance sheet to be able to to play that game. But there was a time when price crashed where Lee Lang Bing was not a happy camper about that whole situation. And yes, I I think that uh, going forward now, yeah, Minrez is like, oh, hey, we'd like our half now. Now this Bajamin is crazy and price is crazy. And that's much to the detriment of Gangpin. And I don't know the exact specifics of their toll arrangement, but clearly Chris Olson's been able to shift money out of Gangpin's pocket into Minrez's. 30% margin is going to Minrez and 15% margin is going to Ganfeng is the way he talked about it. He can't capture all the margin because, you know, he's got to give something to the converter, but that, that seemed to be how they were splitting it. Yeah. I, I think as time passes and financial reports come out over a series of, over a longer period of time, you'll we'll have a, a, a much better idea of how that goes. But it it's easy to mask stuff like that too. I mean, Apple Marl's been gifted at that um, just because of they don't have to go to that level of disclosure in the, their financials. So. Yeah, but they there's transfer pricing issues that Minrez kind of talked about. So um, what I want to ask: so what is you forecasted to twenty twenty seven, uh, Joe? Uh, I did what what are your what do you think the average spodumene price is going to be during that period and what do you think the average carbonate and hydroxide price? Is? i didn't forecast spodumene but it's implied in the price so i mean if the spodumene cratered obviously the cost curve comes down for the marginal converter and yeah you're not going to have uh 60 i mean i i would just ask people to go to my website that that, that graph is on my website just remind uh, me well but just what was the number 60 on average approximately i did high medium and low and i i get as high as 97 in that period okay. but the the important thing is you see the low to the base have convergence towards 20 they don't, they don't actually converge but they and that the whole premise i had is that SQM doesn't really have any long tail contracts. Abomarl does. And I, there's also, I don't know exactly what all of Tansy's agreements are, but my whole premise is, is that the low, which is still pretty high, it is like this year, I think it's, it's, it's in the 35 range because it's a weighted average, but it moves, it moves up as, contracts fall off and there's a higher component of you know the benchmark facet markets average however people do it there's multiple ways people index price and so i have uh 
by 2027, there isn't a whole lot of difference between high, high and, 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 and low. I'd agree with Joe's. Even if you had a change in spot, you're going to have an uplift in contracts rolling off. So it, it is going to have a smoothing effect. But um, to me, it comes down to spodumen. It comes down to how much can be produced and then how much is between the miner and, and the converter. So if you know the material comes online I below where Joe is, if there are hiccups, then I completely understand why he's at where he's at. And it makes sense. Our numbers and our estimates are much higher. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm in the 30s or whatever it is, or 40 or what have you. But again, you know, are we going back to the low numbers? I guess is it really was, to my mind, putting those numbers out is to, to dispel, you know, the talk about, you know, how low prices could go to and what's being embedded in share prices. Because in the end, the industry is still almost self-reliant on funding. It's not getting enough strategic investment. I think that's where Joe's numbers are going to as well. So you, you, you need to plug in in better so guys can raise the money and, and do their thing. Because if you plug in 15, this industry is going to grind to a halt. If you plug in 20, it's going to grind to a halt. Rodney and I only differ by, I think, a small matter of degree. And it, exactly your point, Rodney. I mean, we both wanted to dispel the... Eleven dollars in twenty twenty four number, which you know, I just it's, I'm still astounded to this day somebody would publish that. But that's you know, fine. People can believe what they they want to believe. I'm trying but, to also figure out like the market. I don't. The market's certainly not pricing in long term forecasts that you're talking about. They're pricing in much lower prices, um, but. 2023, 2024, you know, Rodney, if I look at this, you know, Sigma's coming online with uncontracted tons. Core, you know, has some uncontracted tons. North American Lithium, Sion, and Piedmont, you know, uncontracted tons. Covalent, SQM basically said there'll be a one-year gap, you know, where they could sell 350,000 tons between them and West Farmers. That's between 2023 and 2024. And then Rodney, you know, Wajna, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And then maybe there's Atlantic Lithium, uh, Leo Lithium, and, and a few other spodumines that, that could get into production. Um, now, could that, there's a lot of excess capacity uh, of China conversion. If that fills up the that capacity, could spodumine prices, you know, have from 7,700, you know, at the BMX platform to 3,500, you know, in 2023, 2024, that'll impact stocks. My model, my model, even being generous on those 23 and 24, I have the market is absolutely tight. There's just no ways. It doesn't matter what comes on. Okay. So then we get to the question that Joe raises about demand. So even if some of the stuff comes on, does that mean that all the ambitions, because the one thing that has happened is downstream capacity is developing. The cell plants are coming online there is sufficient cathode. The OEMs have got production capacity. So the question is, can waiting times go from six to 12 months to a month and all of this material get taken up and you still have a balanced market? Yeah, the question for you, Howard, is add all those numbers you just mentioned up. What's the total? And what's the demand increase in those years? I, I, I don't think you hit a tilt Give Sigma their due. Give 
Val Doritz do everyone you mentioned, add them all up and then put it through the lens of let's look at, I mean, I know you, you, you think I'm, I'm mired in the past, but actually I, I, <laughs> I would, I would debate that, but anyone who doesn't learn from history is doomed to repeat it. And assuming that all these guys are going to come going and then look at the conversion factors they use. Look at the conversion factor Minrens use. It's complete bullshit. So the devil sometimes in the details. I want to believe the new, new normal. Okay. It is, yeah. is not is not 12 to 14, but is 30 to 40, right. You know, or 50, you know, well, and, and it could be 7,000, 6,000 spas. I mean, if that's true. Okay. Then Sigma and core and North American lithium and, and companies that are going to be producing into that. Right. And lithium Americas, who's going to have, uh, you know, carbonate coming on stream, you know, next year and, and the year after that, you know, I don't know that those stocks are factoring in that high level of chemical and spodumene prices. Oh, I don't think, I don't think they are. I mean, they, I mean, they obviously the thing black is the overhang of when's judge do going to give them their due uh, and and I don't know that there's there's a lot of things, but I mean, just take a company, take any of the top five or six lithium companies. I don't I don't think my price deck is factored into any of those. No, definitely prices. not. All <laughs> cam these are they're screaming buys if if they're at three four times you know EBITDA EBITDA or or, or less uh, compared to you know ten or fifteen times but, these things. I guess so, so that's what I was saying is it's more of an existential issue. Is if you're actually not even near those, if you are sub twenty or what have you, then it's the whole thing about actually are we grinding to a halt here? Because if you still look at the numbers, upstream investment is still way, way too large, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. The past five, six months, you know, global recession, you know, financing has grind to a halt. Like public equity financings have been very small in the lithium space. There have been some, you know, Coke just made an investment in, in Compass, but there's a, a few of those. But uh, let's, let's take one more, let's take one more trip down memory lane. People laughed at my new normal. And then they said, well, you were absolutely wrong because SQM's selling for 4,000 or three, you know, was I wrong? Because I said battery grade. I always nuanced that at battery grade and battery grade never averaged less than 10,000 a ton in any of those years in Korea and Japan. There were months when it was in the nines. It's, it's a good I have point. all the data. It, 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 it's a good point. I always heard your nuance, uh, but not everybody remembers the nuance. They remember the <laughs> the headline, but that that's fine. Yep. That, 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 that... No, but that that's well. It's it's a relevant point in that spodumene was selling for in the mid threes, and EV penetration was tepid, yet battery quality held. And now, look at the market. Look at your pie chart of where's demand coming from. The the battery number is now swamping. I I don't even nuance all the other little segments. I just say other. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to the the pricing of spodumene carbonate hydroxide. I want to delve into that a little bit. Um, so first, a question: How much spodumene is currently converted to carbonate versus hydroxide, and how will this percentage 
shift over the next five years? I I would just say take whatever your China market is between high nickel that requires hydroxide, LFP, and high nickel that doesn't require hydroxide. And that is basically your mix or, or look at Minrez's uh, it's in the it's in the third page third early 30s of their last deck and they show the battery grade versus um, battery grade hydroxide versus battery grade carbonate split and right now it still favors carbonate to some extent so I, I think you've got I mean the, the issue you have and, and I've talked about this before is that most of the capital's gone into hydroxide so you have a very hydroxide heavy, capacity build doesn't matter so much in China because they're much more nimble at how the plants are designed and how quickly they can switch. But the Aussies aren't that, that way. So if you look at Quinana and Kemerton, they're not going to become carbonate producers quickly if there needs to be a shift. And that's why I think the, and I said this as early as 2016 or maybe even 15, but I think it was 16 that Long term, there would be no premium for hydroxide, and there might it might go back to the old China rule that hydroxide has less lithium in it than carbonate at a point, you know, eight seven uh, rate, and should sell at a discount because of that. And then market forces, if there's an oversupply, would 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 turn that too. Ryan, did you have a thought on that carbonate versus hydroxide and um, spodumene as the input? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's a, I guess it's an interesting one. I guess we'll delve into the whole of the geopolitics, you know, all of those things that come into play. So in the end, it's hard to call because I think essentially what we're saying here, Joe, is, you know, ultimately it's calling all pockets. You'll take whatever units you could get of whatever you can get to produce because that's the demand is swamping us. So, you know, unless economic forces make it impossible, um, uh, you know, you're going to need to see, you know, Joe mentioned Argentina and how much has come out of there and the cap in the Atacama or whatever. So you could well see Spodgerman going into, into carbonate. So um, if the pricing is right. So we'll have, you know, ebbs and flows. But in the end, Joe hit the nail on the head. The Chinese are extremely nimble. They work a plan on whatever's going. They take material in whatever shape and form. Some plants were built to take um, spodumen, shifted to taking non-battery grade carbonate of suppliers. Anything goes. So um, it's it's an impossible call. I'm not sure that it's it's that important. The logical thing, I guess, is if you're an integrated producer, then you're going to make money regardless of what you do with that with, with that spodumen. That's the key. Right. I, I'm with you on that point. I, I totally agree with you. Okay. The, the point I'm trying to get at right now, like spodumen pricing contracts are currently linked to hydroxide and carbonate, right? So if you look, that, that that's how the industry works for the most part. Um, hydroxide prices have been somewhat linked to carbonate, you know, for that conversion, you know, bit. So I'm just thinking in future, could spodumene price decouple, you know, from being linked to hydroxide carbonate and instead could hydroxide price 
be linked to the spodumene price, meaning so to, to Rodney's earlier point, spodumene's driving things, you know, will like iron ore, I don't know, steel and iron ore. That's what I'm trying to get at is um, could there be a shift? Because there's a lot of focus on pricing, you know, it's all hydroxide or carbonate, you know, the, the fast markets and the SGX platform. But with BMX, you know, you're now having the spodumene, you know, there's small auctions, but there's going to be a lot of supply of uncontracted spodumene out there might start to, to drive things. I don't, I don't see that. And one of the reasons I don't see that is especially when you bring in the Inflation Reduction Act and the take a the contract with GM with LiveInt, that was clearly structured to make sure that it was non-Chinese uh, product. You know, th there was some language that there could be a transition period because obviously Livent's got a lot of conversion capacity in China, but I drove by it not very long ago and their, their hydroxide plant expansion in Bessemer City is coming along nicely. And, and so I, I, because so much of the hydroxide, it's mostly going to be hydroxide, but there's going to be a, a growing number that's carbonate based. I can't see the whole industry trend turning to, oh, we're just going to, we're going to base it on spodumene because it's totally decoupled from spodumene and in the, in the case I'm referring to and take SQM, it's the same thing. SQM doesn't have any linkage to spodumene and their hydroxide and they're going to keep building capacity. So I'm not saying it couldn't happen on individual contracts, but do I think the industry trend is going to go to spodumene uberalis? I do not. Okay. Rodney, any thoughts on that? And then we'll switch to the geopolitics segment. Yeah, I mean, we, we had this, we've had this discussion before. I think in the end, it's the chemical that drives the feedstock. So, okay. So um, um, you, you don't, you don't see it. That's fine. Just raising the question doesn't mean I'm. We're not ganging up on you, Howard. We're not ganging up. 